Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Welcome to another amazing episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitford. And Maria here. And we're so excited to have Ronan Shettleboim, Head of Demand Generation at Tessian here today. Ronan, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I love the community. I think it's uh, super important work for all the marketers out there to be able to connect and share, share ideas and thoughts and, and sometimes even complain. So I'm Ronan. Uh, I live in LA right now. I spend about 11, 12 years in the Bay Area uh, working for B2B SaaS tech companies. Uh, originally from Israel, that's the, the accent. And recently I started my own newsletter, which I'm super excited about, which maybe I'll tell you a little bit more later. But um, yeah, su- super excited to be here. And a new dad, which is also another exciting thing. And new dad, yeah, that's um, <laughs> probably yeah one of the best jobs I think I can ever have in my life. Um, probably also one of the most difficult ones, but uh, yeah, so, so excited about that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Why don't we hop right into that? Because Ronan, you're a new dad. You recently were on paternity leave. You shared with us in the pre-call. And the way you set that up at your company was really interesting. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your story on taking paternity leave and how you and your team kind of prepared for that? So we discovered that my wife is is pregnant and uh, super excited. And I realized that there is not a lot of literature out there or instructions on, okay, what to do about work, what to do with your teams and how to tell people about what's going on. And I, I started to kind of freak out a little bit, um, not sure how to how to manage that. I started talking with my friends and I got a lot of, of different advice and I love best practices and frameworks. So I kind of collected my own. And in January, when, when we had uh, Leo, our baby boy, um, a lot of people started reaching out and ask me, hey, like, how did you handle, you know, everything at work and, and with your wife before the pregnancy and after. And I start sharing some, some thoughts and people are like, oh, I love that. And they start taking notes as well. So I figured uh, I'm going to talk about it more and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a blog post about it and, and I'm going to share some, some tips with you guys. I think the first thing is how to let the job know and, and when. So I think the first tip, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, talk to the doctor and talk to your wife. Obviously, there might be a, a time where it's too early to let the world know. So make sure you get a doctor note and he says thumbs up and then your wife feels super, super comfortable with it. I think second step is go to HR and your boss and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. You know, what's the policy? Uh, understand kind of everything around paternity leave and understand communication, how, how the company prefer to, to communicate to, to the rest of the team. I think small nuance here is um, every work is different. Every, every job place is different. And they might tell you, hey, you get you know a month or, or two months and you can take it uh, as once or split it. I didn't know what to do. So again, I asked different mentors and dads and I got so many different opinions on how you should split a time. I think my advice, mm-hmm. just take the entire time at once. Why? Because your wife or your partner needs you like badly. And there is so much to do, right? So you need to cook, you need to clean, you need to take off the trash. You need to just make sure that you help your wife recover. So um, I decided to take the time that I got I got from my job. The third thing is um, you want to be present. You don't want to think about work. 
uh, when you're mm-hmm. at home, you want to be present with your wife, you want to be present with your baby. Obviously, this time is not going to come back. So I wanted to make sure I prepare my team like 150%. So I can uh, relax and, and be present. When we talked about this before in the pre-call, you were saying, you know, you set up, and even just now you said you set up a framework and a blog post on afterwards, after you had already taken paternity leave, like a framework for that. But this was before you had taken paternity leave. You were in the planning stages. Like what sort of systems, frameworks, planning did you put into place to yep. make sure that, you know, the the demand gen organization kept demand genning while you were out? Yeah. Exactly. So first thing is um, choose someone to be in charge when you're out. So I talked every, with everyone on one-on-one. I, I told them, hey, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to be gone for X amount of weeks. And I chose someone to, to be in charge. I asked her if she's okay. She did a fantastic job. And I let everyone know, hey, when I'm, when I'm gone, this person is in charge. Uh, so, so that's number one. Number two is uh, planning. So my goal was to not to do a lot of the regular work about two weeks before the paternity leave. I didn't want to scramble uh, towards the end. We actually met in person. I have a global team, so half of my team is actually in the UK. But we met in person in Austin, which was fantastic. We haven't seen each other for about two years. And we just spent time on planning. Uh, We have a pretty cool process around planning. We use the Amazon framework uh, where Mm. we take OKRs and and we put everything in slides. And then we do pre-read and people comment live. And then we have discussions on, on those OKRs. So about two weeks before my, my paternity leave, while I was still working, we finished completely with targets, OKRs, roles and responsibilities, who's doing what when, when, I'm, when I'm gone. And then I cleaned my calendar completely. I was still at work, but I had two weeks. But I, I, I wanted people to understand, hey, I'm not going to be in those meetings or we're going to cancel other meetings. And then for meetings that I ran, I put that new person in charge. So she ran actually the meetings instead of me, even if I attended. Wow. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. And um, then um, what else? And then we have this concept we can talk about later, relationship 15. So who are the key people that you work with cross-function in the organization? So I met with everyone and that new person, showed them the plan. We walked through the plan, got their sign off. So really we tried to make sure that we, we, you know, cover everything. And, and a small note for when I came back from the paternity leave, I actually, a week before I came back, I asked everyone to send me, look back, look forward, what worked, didn't work, short email. And that was really, really good, good call. It was an idea of, of actually my boss and uh, it saved me tons of time, right? Because I came back to thousands of emails. As you know, you come back from paternity leave, you, you have to prioritize uh, like crazy. So that really, really helped me to focus on the right things. I mean, we come back to thousands of emails, even just over a weekend. So I can't even imagine. How long was your paternity leave, by the way? It was four weeks. Ah, that's so good. Yeah. So this is really great. And I think this points to the strength, you know, all the processes you've built in place and the the ability to find someone to basically be temporary Ronin while you're out points to the strength of your team that you've built and also to the strength of your culture. We'll get back into the OKRs and into the frameworks again, but this team you said was half of them were in the UK. Yeah, exactly. And you had met them in Austin before you went on paternity leave, but had you ever met like during the pandemic, a lot of us were hiring remotely. Did you build this team remotely or was it, how did you build it? So I joined Tessian in January, 2020. Uh, so t- two months before COVID. And I went to the UK to meet the team that was there, which there were four people. Now we are eight. 
so after that, I hired people um, both in the UK and in the US. But um, the first and only time I met them was in January and then in March. And that's it. And I haven't seen them for two years. Yeah. And you, you hired all these people remotely. Like, can you give us some tips? <laughs> yeah. A lot of us right now are still hiring remotely. Can yeah. you talk about, you know, did you make any adjustments to the normal hiring process because people were remote? How did it work for you? Yeah. So this is topic that I'm super excited about and passionate about. And I think it comes from management and leadership, but the topic is, is relationship, really building relationship, culture, and, and trust. I think there are a lot of people that talk, talk about relationship and trust, but a lot of people don't know how to do it. And they just say, hey, like, let's build trust. Let's build relationship. Okay, that sounds really, really cool. But how do you do that? So I have some things that I did, I always did, I did it in the past as well, but because of COVID, I just had to accelerate that and do it over Zoom. So I think I can go a little bit into the details. Number one is a personality test. People just undervalue like the power of personality test because you have people remote, you need to get to know them fast to build this trust. You don't have time to play, right? And I use DISC, um, DISC personality test, there are millions. It doesn't matter which one you choose. I think you should choose one and really get to know the people that you work with. Um, so we did the disc test. Uh, I think there are free ones or ones that you can pay $10 or something like that. Why it's so powerful? You know, in Dimension, you have so many different personalities. It's not similar to sales where you kind of hire very similar type of, of people. That's so um, true. So for example, let's take operations. So my wife is in analytics, right? So they have type of approach. I, I grew up doing op operations. They have type of approach that might be different than the creative people. So for example, I'll tell you a story with, with my, my wife that I learned about after the DISC. I, I learned to understand her better after doing the DISC assessment. So, you know, let's say it's Saturday and um, I tell my wife, hey, let's go to the beach. Uh, the first thing that she would say is, why? And <laughs> you know, people do this all the time. It's so like, why? Why would I do that? And I'm, uh, I'm in between D and I on the disc um, segment. And uh, operation people are usually around C. Like they need preciseness. They need, they need to, to understand the detail. It's, it's, there is no fluff, right? So the only thing my wife needs to hear is, oh, because I love the beach or because it's sunny. And then she's like, okay. But for D or I, people in the disc framework, when you tell why, they think, oh, you're questioning me. Why <laughs> and then there is a conflict in personality. So I think the moral of the story it's really, really important to understand your people and then share the results so people can understand how do I communicate with that person in that role and how do I like people to communicate with me? So I think that's that's a no-brainer and I did it quick right, right when COVID started. Would you prefer that versus, you know, giving the assignment to the candidate and having them do that within the interview process? Yeah, so the interview process is... Um, it's hard, right? So you cannot always do that. I think there are certain questions that you can ask in order to understand how they tackle the problem. So if it's an operational person, I usually ask to go into the details. I think Elon Musk has a whole thing about that. If you're an operator, you'll be able to describe every step. And if you are not, you're, you're not. And there are lots of people today that can um, maybe like massage the answer or make it seem that they did a job. But only if you dive in, you, you can know if they did a job. So, so I think there are tricks in the interview process. I think my challenge was I inherited four people and I had to expand the team and I had to understand the culture and the people quick Got over it. Zoom. So this is why I, I roll out the disc. There is a framework called Johari. Uh, I think it was developed in 1955. Have you heard about it? It's it's two researchers, John and Harry. 
Um, the idea is oh, that's there, funny. Yeah, there is. Uh, <laughs> I think there are fifty or sixty adjectives. You, you can Google that. And what you do, you need to rate yourself. What adjectives describe you the best? And then you choose some of your colleagues, and they they need to rate you. So what happened is, uh, it's called the Johari window, actually. There are things that you know about yourself and other people know about you. And there are things that you know about yourself and other people don't know, actually, about you. And there are people that people, there are things that people think about you, but you don't know about yourself. So after you rank each other, you go and you have this conversation and you learn so much. And the goal with the Johari window is to build relationships through understanding yourself and be able to communicate who you are better. So the idea is to minimize the things that you think about yourself, the, the gap between the things that you think about yourself and what people know about you, not to leave any any kind of gaps there. Um, so that wow, was. This, this sounds like it's it would be perfect for marriage therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And then um, if we think if we talk about marriage, I think another thing that is important to to take to work is the five love languages. Oh, um, yes. Oh yes. You yes. take that. You guys take that into work. So, yeah, so what I do is basically you can ask people, how do you like to be appreciated or recognized? Again, it's not as easy as it sounds because some people will not know, like literally, like you will need to dig in and it's like, where do you like incentives? Do you like shout outs? Like, but it's, uh, again, like it's money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's important to understand that I have, I have a funny story from a, comp- from a friend. I'm not going to share the company, but um, essentially every time uh, he hit his targets, his boss will put a bottle of wine with a note on his desk to, of my friend. He did it for a couple of quarters, right? And I'm talking to my friends like, you don't like wine? And he's like, yeah, <gasps> my boss never asked me that. And every quarter he gave me a bottle of wine on my achievements. And I'm oh like, how can he not? Ask, ask it like that's that's crazy right so i think that's part of the five love languages like hey how do you like to be recognized what do you like what you don't like it's another quick way to, to get to know your team have you heard about no small talk parties oh no but that's a party i would go to that sounds amazing i don't want to talk about the weather i mean i kind of want to talk about the weather but not at a party <laughs> yeah so, so I work my team in London. So sometimes talking about the weather is super exciting. But I think the no small talk concept is really cool. Uh, there is a professor uh, named Dan Ariely. He's also an author, psychology behavior professor. He has some really great books, and I think he had an article in Wired magazine a couple of years ago talking about this concept. So the idea is that you cannot build relationship through through small talks. He came up with this concept of parties that not allowed to to talk about uh, to to have small talks. So I used to meet with my team in person and try to do that as, as a game. But again, COVID, you can't do that. So we start doing that on Zoom every Friday. So basically, you can Google it and find maybe 50 no small talk questions. And you are, you, you, in, in, before the meeting starts, you tell everyone, hey, you cannot talk about the weather. You cannot talk about sports. You cannot talk about work. And here is the set of questions. Each person choose a, choose a question and people can answer as, as they want. And you can really go deep in 30 minutes, uh, which is pretty cool. So this sounds like you have structured time in your schedule for team building. If you're saying every Friday we get together and you're not allowed to talk about the weather, you're not allowed to talk about the Super Bowl, and you're not allowed to talk about whatever we just did for the for the last 37 hours. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you set that up? Or what are you doing in terms of a reoccurring schedule? Yeah, so I think uh, it's not that I learned it in a hard way, but uh, I think no one really understood how to handle COVID on Zoom and Slack. And I think uh, we just keep 
giving feedback to each other. And I think one of the feedback is just, hey, we, we're, just, we're just talking about work, right? Think about time zone and global team and all of that. And we need to change that. And it's hard for everyone. And people want to be vulnerable and, and get to know each other and go deeper. So I just, uh, we, we had different formats where we did different things, but I just start scheduling those uh, times where you cannot talk about work. Um, and uh, I, I think people really appreciated that. And uh, you need to change it, you know, every few months because people get tired. Uh, <laughs> I think another small thing that comes to mind on this topic is I've never used emojis before. And I start using so many emojis uh, over Slack <laughs> oh, because I think... They're going to call you a boomer then. Yeah, your, exactly. Your, your coworkers. Hey, hey, I love emojis. <laughs> I know, me too. But like, <laughs> I, know, I read... I I love them too now. It's just, you, you have to, I think it's evoked, diff, like if you ask someone, hey, how are you doing on Slack? And like, fine, fine, fine. But if you start using more emojis and like, and even ask people to answer in emojis or they see you, so they start, it, it's create a little bit also more connection. People like show you a little bit of their creative side. And I think that's, that's a, that's a cool, cool hack. That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. It gives, it gives emotion to the text that you're writing, right? Exactly. Not just letters. Exactly. It's not very revolutionary, but we, we started a book club. Uh, so yeah. we used to do two books a quarter and we moved to one a quarter. Obviously, it's hard. Another issue with working remote is bringing everyone to the same level. I decided to focus on copywriting. Why? Because we get so many emails and, and you want to stand out and you want to have a tone of voice. And we read three books around copywriting and share notes and two best practices. It brought the team together. It leveled up from a professional perspective, the entire team. And you, you saw the results in all the different functions and channels from ads to emails, to nurturing emails, to webinars, to events, invites. Uh, it was pretty cool. I, I didn't anticipate that, but um, it was another activity where you don't talk specifically about work and, and you share something together. Oh, that's really cool. When you said book club, I immediately thought just any book. But when you actually focus it around, you know, something about marketing or even brand or whatever, that's actually a pretty cool idea. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we actually stopped the last few months, but we need to bring it back. It was. Uh, I think it was super fun. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we jump back into the topic of OKRs? Because I'm, I'm actually selfishly super interested in in this. When, in your opinion, should startups adopt the OKR method in planning for goals and activities and campaigns? I think day zero. I think you need to start right away because I think, uh, another sentence from my boss, uh, if you don't know where you're going, like you, you will never get there. Uh, and I think you, you have to have a North Star. You have to know where you want to go. It can be... We call it BHAG, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's a big, audacious, hairy goal. I think it's come from LinkedIn. Something like, hey, we, we have 50 people attending our webinars. How do we get to 10,000? And just like have some sort of target. So I would say day zero. When I became a manager and when I developed as a manager, I, I went through cycles where I, I had OKRs or I didn't. And it's just night and day. It helps people to give them clarity and focus. And um, yeah, day zero. And what are some mistakes to avoid when actually setting up OKRs? That's a good question. Do you know how people say, like, if you cannot measure it, you cannot improve it, blah, 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 right? The hardest thing is not to measure. It's just to come up with a measurement. Because if I tell you, hey, you're in dimension, oh, why don't you impact revenue or impact pipeline? You're like, yeah, hey, let's, let's do it. I want to skin in the game. Yeah, but like, how do I impact revenue? Am I sitting there in the deal and signing the deal? It's complex. And now 
and let's say I'm talking to you as as, uh, as a director or head of, what if you go to to the intern on someone who just started? Like, are they going to impact revenue? No. So what are, what are their targets that are going to get them excited? Uh, that's um, that that's a, a challenging thing. There is a book by I think Lencioni talks about why people are, are happy at work. And there are three things. One, you need to know something personal about them so they feel like you care about them. Uh, they need to know that their job is important to someone. It can be to the customer, to their colleagues. And the third thing, they need to be able to measure their impact. In that book specifically, he described um, a CEO that retired and went to uh, Lake Tao, bought the pizzeria, and he tried to like motivate the employees in the pizzeria. So he came to the guy that works in the window and he, and he asked him like, oh, are you happy? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just, you know, working like my hours. And he's like, okay, why don't we measure success by, by seeing how many people you can make smile every day? And we're going to improve that metric every day. And the guy was like, oh, wow, that's like, I never had a measurement. So I think like building the OKR, having a clear measurement and making sure everybody has a unique thing that a measurement that leads to like a, a, a greater metric. Is, uh, is hard to do, but it's really important to, to, to figure that out. Wow, we should do that in cybersecurity marketing. Like how many CISOs can we make smile today? Um, yeah, just yeah. make that part of our strategy. As opposed to how many CISOs right now can we make curse at us? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Less of that, <laughs> decrease yeah. the percentage of that, increase the percentage <laughs> of the former. <laughs> So I wasn't in cybersecurity before before this job, and people like to say, "Hey, I'm in HR tech, and like people behave in a certain way, and I'm I'm in cybersecurity, and people behave in another way, and you know I'm in fintech, and like I know my 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 persona." My conclusion from the last twelve years: at the end of the day, we sell to people, and even if they say that they don't like certain things, you know what? Maybe you should check your offer, because if you put the right offer in front of the right person, guess what? They will respond to you. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and sponsor a podcast or two. So another topic which is so interesting to to us, Ronan, is strategic relationship building within an organization. And I want to ask you about that because that's something that not a lot of people maybe think about within like a framework or in a strategy when joining an org. Can you explain to us like the value of building relationships strategically and also how to do it internal to an organization? Yeah. For us, it starts from, from the onboarding process. I think uh, if you don't know how to build relationship, like if, if you are uh, honest with yourself and you're like, you know what, that sounds cool. And I don't, I don't know how to do it. Then there are ways to educate yourself. There are books. You should ask your boss. I think there is a book, classic book, How to Win Friends and Friends or something like that. How to Win Friends and Influence People yeah, by Dale exactly. Carnegie. Yep. Exactly. So that's classic. Um, there is a book called The Culture Map, which I I, I can't recommend enough. It's just, it just talks about um, different countries and how people behave in certain things on the work environment. And it's another way to 
to just really understand people and then the five love languages which we talked about so make sure you understand how to build relationship i think that's that's number one then what we do is um we have an onboarding doc for every new hire um obviously we explain to them hey here's your targets and uh, here are the slack channels that you should care about in documents and then we have a section about relationship and we say um, because you don't know the organization, like here are the people that we believe cross-functionally, um, you're going to work really close to. And we're trying to make it around five people so it's not overwhelming. And, and one of the goals for that quarter is, is to, to build a relationship with those, with those people. Then we have something called the Day 30 presentation, again, framework that actually came from my boss. In the Day 30 presentation, the new hire needs to present to all the people that he's going to work with, including his top five relationship, what's his job, like literally definition, like what's my job? You know, why am I here? What did I learn through the onboarding process that I didn't know? And what am I going to do in the next 90 days? So that's another milestone in building relationship because they kind of expose to, to the rest of the organization the role and the responsibilities and all of that. There is a slide in that deck, which I kind of wrote about in my blog post as well, that talks about mapping your relationship. And it's something that you need to do every quarter. Why? Because uh, companies grow, you know, people change, uh, teams change, priorities change. So you need to you need to um, look at the organization and say who are the five most important people that can help me succeed personally, help my team succeed, or, or help my um, my department to succeed. And then when you map them, you need to create some process to 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 develop relationship with them. So that can be maybe weekly lunches, you know, biweekly coffees. And you cannot do that if you don't understand the people. So going back to, I'm trying to enable my team to DISC and Johari, I'm asking them, okay, this person that you're building a relationship with, what letter in the DISC analysis is he? And then they would say, well, they didn't take the DISC analysis. Well, I know, but what do you think? And then like you, you start like, okay, like you start thinking about things in a different way. You know, like one of my colleagues worked with someone from the sales of, hey, they keep pushing back. Are they really pushing back or are they C on the disc and they just need to understand the why behind? It's like, oh, yeah. And then when they start explaining the why, the relationship improved. I think when you think about things through relationship and how to make not just yourself or your team successful, but the entire organization successful, which I think is your responsibility if you're at least a director, I think uh, you think about the business in a different way. You, you bring people to the conversation. You make more people involved. So it's, yeah, it's something that I think we, we all focus on. I think it's a differentiator and it's super important. You know, what's interesting is it's almost like with this conflict resolution, right? Yeah. Like, hey, and, and Maria hears me sometimes whine about some stuff <laughs> when I'm trying to deal with personalities, but understanding, you know, more of like that, how people work on an individual level can help smooth out some of that tension that exists in every organization between like marketing and sales or even internal, which is very cool. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, sometimes when you see like people want to, pro like as a manager, when I see people want to progress um, and, and you have performance reviews or things like that, people say, well, I hit my targets, but how did your counterpart or how the people that you have relationship did, did were they successful? Did you make them successful? I think it takes time for people to understand that. the people that click. I think the sky is the limit for them because they can really advance their career to your point. Like they can think about conflicts in a different way. They can think about their job in a different way. Yeah. So it's, I think it's a super, super um, important point. Yeah. 
It's almost like a super skill. Yeah. This is like, this is enlightening. I'm like thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take, I'm going to find the disc online, wherever it is, disc profile or free version or paid version or whatever. And I'm going to make my team take it and yeah, see fun. what comes out of that. I took a lot of notes. <laughs> oh, thank you. So you're, you have this amazing org, amazing team that you've built. But built on like this best practices of knowing and understanding people and psychology almost. That's internal. But external to Tessian, people may know Tessian's big event, which is the Human Layer Security Summit. And I'm hoping we can get into this too. So tell us, what is the Human Layer Security Summit? Uh, Tessian is an email security platform. Uh, you probably see more and more in the news from, from Gartner and Forrester. Um, research about email security. It's a, it's a really hot topic, tackling advanced threats via email um, from social engineering aspects, ATO, BC, all, all that fun stuff. I think in what we do, usually when you think about cybersecurity, you're trying to find software that protects people through protecting another software. And the category that we started a couple of years ago is all about protecting people action and enabling people to do their job uh, better without interruption. Like if I'm in the imagine, I, I don't really want to think about security. I just want to do my job and I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to make any mistakes from a security perspective. So this is what we are trying to do. Uh, so this is where we came up with a human layer security category. And, and it's not only true to, to email, it's true to everything in security. It's kind of funny. It's kind of contradicts like the zero trust, I think, um, messaging that, that you, you probably heard if you're in security. Yeah, I started in, in January 2020. We did our first event. We have an amazing field, field team. And um, we had, I think, 70 or 80 people um, in the room. And then COVID started and we shifted to completely virtual. And today we have 2,000, 3,000 CISO register every time. That's insane. That's a huge number. Thank you. So we have a high bar and we talk a lot about that. And we have this concept of operational excellence. Everything needs to work like on the experience perspective, like from the moment that they interact with us um, and see the event, like we, we basically try to, from a planning perspective, understand exactly, okay, they land on a landing page. Are they going to share it? Not, are they going to get swag, donation? Is there any motivation for them, for them to register? What happened after registration? Like all of that needs to be mapped and, and it needs to be super clear and super detailed. We get to a point where we have a contingency plan as well. So we're basically trying to anticipate and predict what are the experiences that can go wrong and try to have a plan towards that. So, so I think planning and, and operational excellence is, is two uh, principles that we live by. Um, then obviously, great, great speakers and working with partners. So we have a prospectus for partners that can come in and sponsor and, and we have different leads, tiers and, and all of that fun stuff. Copywriting. So I mentioned the book club. It came super handy in those cross-promotion and promotion in general. I think nice. we just completely changed the language and we were not afraid uh, in terms of like how we approach CISOs. We also reached out to multiple people in each organization. We kept it short and the sessions were short as well, intentionally. Mm -hmm. So you will not go and hear, you know, 60 minutes of a talk. It will be 15 minutes focused on more panel discussions uh, where people can submit questions. We live stream it. And we also did a LinkedIn Live. So the idea from an experience perspective, when we map it, we said, okay, if you're in your car, if you're on LinkedIn, if you, want, if you use other platform, you can listen to it anywhere you want. So that's another way to kind of continue and getting leads. I think making sure from integrated campaign perspective that everything you do 
lead to the summit. So let's say we attend a black hat and people stop by the booth and now you send a thank you email. Thank you for stopping by the booth, right? Those emails are gold. I, I think people like underestimate the power of, of those emails. Really? Because, you know what I mean? Because like, hey, like no one will ever be mad at you when you send them, thank you for attending X and Y. So why not to take advantage of that and tell them about something new? So we just leverage, you know, CPC, ads, uh, events that we attended, previous webinars to tell them about this event. And, and slowly it just started growing. And I think people believed in the category. And uh, so no secret sauce. I think a lot of hard work and connecting a lot of dots. And uh, yeah. Well, the secret sauce is making sure your operations are flawless. And I think that's the secret sauce, really. That's Maria's favorite secret sauce. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, when you, so again, I, I think you're an operation as well. I, I think I, 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 I'm super passionate about operation. I did it a couple of years, both sales ops and marketing ops. When you set the bar high to your team and you say like operational excellence, that's our value. And we talk about it all the time, including performance review, including planning, including reviews. Like is the bar high? Is this like the best that we can do? Everybody automatically lifting the, and even if it's not excellent, it's like 10, 20% better than, um, than before. Than the previous, yes. Yeah. And um, with the technology today, there are so many cool things that you can do leveraging, right? Marketing automation tools and, and cookies and UTMs. Um, so, yeah. Ronan, what is operational excellence to you? Because you just said we're, we're aiming for that, right? Like, what yeah. is it when you're explaining it to your team? So, for example... We wanted to do an event, a virtual event. So we were like, okay, should it be a webinar? Okay, let's do a webinar. But we were not excited about that. How can we level it up? And then we have an amazing uh, 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 head of design and creative. And he's like, look at Apple. Let's be Apple. Can we do Apple? And then someone else and said, and going back to the BHAG, remember Big Audacious goal? Like, can we get 10,000 people, 20,000? So our BHAG was, can we make it a TV show? or an Apple style of conference. And again, the magic thing that happened is like, you know what? We have a lot of things to learn and, and to improve and money to spend to get to that level, but we automatically increase the level of every everyone from, from focus and importance and, and attention to details. I think to your original question, attention to details, like don't underestimate the, the small things that need to get done to make sure that the experience is perfect. And, and you know, when we are in this planning meeting, imagine like there's 10 people like involved, right? And we're all talking and people have ideas and people just like, oh, should we do this? Should we do that? If you go back to the principles and say like, are we optimizing for customer experience? Are we optimizing for operations? Then you get the answer. There is no debate anymore. Yes, we are. if we are doing this, we are optimizing for customer experience. And if we are doing that, we are leveling up our operational excellence. And, and, um, and yeah, magic, magic, magical things happen. I love that. That sounds magical. That yeah. really does. <laughs> is this what you write about in your newsletter? Why don't you share the name of that newsletter with everybody? Uh, thank you. It's uh, so it's Ronan Shadowboy, my name, dot uh, substack.com. I called it Thoughts. Yes, and that those are some of the things I'm going to write about. I think um, I've just I always wrote for myself. I'm always been passionate about reading and just just getting better uh, since I think since I moved to to the US. I never shared it. And um, I think my wife one day said, why don't you share it? And I said, you know what? It's a good idea. So I, uh, I wrote uh, two already. Uh, the third one is going to come next week and um, got a lot of love from, from people. So uh, yeah, gonna, I think I'm going to continue with that. 
That's awesome. amazing. We should share that on the Society Slack ASAP. We will. We will. And we'll also include it in the show notes, everybody. So make sure you check out the show notes and get the link to Thoughts by Ronan Shettlebaum on Substack. I think that we're getting close to time here. So there's one extra question that we like to ask all of our guests. If you were not doing what you're doing today, which is working in marketing, what would you be doing? I think I'll be the teacher or maybe a basketball coach. I love uh, working with kids. I love teaching. I've done it a little bit back in Israel. I love basketball. So maybe an opportunity to combine those uh, would be pretty cool. Well, soon, maybe when, when Leo's a little bit older, he'll be on some sort of league and you'll find yourself doing that. <laughs> I know. How cool would it be? Yeah, I hope so. That's awesome. Awesome. So Ronan, uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more or reach out to you? So LinkedIn, I think is a good place. I'm pretty active there. Uh, the newsletter. Yeah, those are the best Yeah, places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being an amazing guest. We are so happy you were able to get on. And listeners, if you want to be a guest on the show, just send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com or visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com backslash podcast. Either work. And we'll see you next Wednesday, as we always do. If you want to join the Cybersecurity Marketing Society and have more one-on-one conversations with other cybersecurity marketers, we have a group of 930 plus cybersecurity marketers in the society and join us at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you so much, Farm. Thank you, guys.